Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. And he couldn't be more right. One of the biggest issues I've had in dieting over the past decades has been, I didn't do enough diligent meal prep. I didn't have what I needed to hand when I needed it. As soon as I got that straightened out, it all went better. And I got to tell you, the biggest boon to meal prep I've had has been Trifecta. They have what I need, when I need it, ready to go. It's here. It's in my fridge. I don't have to think about anything. I know when to eat. I know the amount. Boom. Done. Wham. Bam. Thank you, ma'am. Trifecta has literally changed my life. Go to trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton where new customers can save up to 40%. Again, that's trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton. Today on the show, I welcome Lane Norton. He has a BS with honors in biochemistry and a PhD with honors in nutritional sciences. He is my favorite guy to listen to dispel all the BS out there about diets. There's a lot of nonsense, and Lane has the scientific answers. You can find him on Instagram, at BioLane. Lane, I have... I, by the way, I think about talking to you, and like I become overwhelmed with like, What's all this shit I got to ask Lane? I can ask him all the fucking minutia of everything I've ever thought about diet and exercise. And then I'm like, 
what is super pertinent and uh it's about to be the new year this is like the season where I don't know if I think for me, this beats like summer bod because summer bod was never an option for me. So New Year's was always like, now I'm going to do something. And I wanted to talk to you about the fuckery, the charlatans that are preying upon. We do not know. There's no science science to suggest that there is a diet that beats thermogenesis, right? No, I mean, like if you look at the, so there's a few different data sets out there that have examined like different diets and like how effective they are. When you start to look at like, you know, the gamut of like short-term really controlled studies, because again, I really try to, you know, people, when I break down studies on my Instagram, they'll say, oh, that was a bad study. I'm like, well, that wasn't a bad study. It's just, you have to understand like every study is going to have limitations based on their funding and what they have available to them. So if you want like a really high degree of control on a study, typically it's going to be pretty short. If you want, and it's going to be low subject number. If you really want a lot of subjects and you want it to be long, it's going to be a really low level of control. So if we look across all those, let's look at kind of 10,000 foot view, which is low control level, but they're following a lot of subjects and looking them over a long period of time. What we tend to see is there isn't any diet that emerges as being better than another diet. Um, in fact, there was a two different meta-analyses I'm thinking of, and for those who aren't familiar, meta-analyses are basically where they try to combine multiple different studies together that have similar criteria and use that to try to formulate kind of a consensus of what the data says. So there was two different meta-analyses looking at different like kind of popular diets that are out there, running the gamut from more of like a vegan, plant-based, high-carb, low-fat, all the way down to, you know, ketogenic, you know, low carb, high fat. And what they found is that in the first six months, people on a ketogenic diet tend to lose a little bit more weight. Um, it's not a huge amount, but a lot of that is one on a ketogenic diet. You lose a lot of water. Right. Um, and two, I think also people, when you lose that water, especially with people who are like very overweight or obese, you get a little bit more buy-in early on. Right. Um, so if they look at it like three to six months, ketogenic does better by like a kilo, two kilos of weight loss. But keep in mind, these studies don't equate for calories. So what's likely happening is they're just eating less. Um, but at like 12 months to two, three years, there's no difference. All, all these diets are equally terrible mm. at like causing long-term change. Now, when they go back, there was one of these meta-analyses where they went back and they kind of stratified based on adherence. So take out diet type, let's just stratify people based on adherence. And what they found was regardless of diet, there was a linear effect of adherence on weight loss. Who'd have thunk it? If you stick to it, it works. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know this is the real boring stuff that nobody wants to hear. You know, they just want the one magic, like tell me what to do that's better than everything else. And the reality is it doesn't look like there's one diet that's better than another diet. And then if we go you know, back and look at, okay, where they've looked at these different diets in the short term and, you know, with very high levels of control. I mean, when you look at things like metabolic ward studies, which is basically food jail, where they control everything you eat in those studies, they really don't see a difference between different diets. The only time they really see a difference is if you're talking about, like, if you're equating calories and you're talking about like a high protein diet versus low protein diet, low protein diet tends to do a little bit better in terms of fat loss. It doesn't cause a ton more weight loss, but you tend to retain more lean body mass 
and lose a greater percentage of your weight from fat. So I would say on a low protein diet, low high protein, protein diet, high protein. high protein diet. Got it. Got it. So, and when I say high, I mean like usually the demarcation line is about 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, now that gets a little bit weird, especially if you're talking about like the really obese population where they have a lot of body weight in those, you know, I tell people, you know, you know, 1.8 to two grams per kilogram of lean mass. In that case, um, if you don't know what your lean mass is, just kind of go, what would my ideal body weight be? And then make the calculation based on that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you don't want people eating 500 grams of, you know, right. for these really larger folks. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be. And again, like that has to be put in the proper context too. And I think that's what a lot of people don't do. If somebody says, Hey, you know, I tried to stick to a high protein diet. I can't seem to do it. Like I, I keep going off the, the plan, but you know, I've been doing this high carb, low fat diet and this is easy for, well then do that. That's fine. Like, you know, like it always has to go back to like adherence. How can we maximize adherence? And I think a lot of the diet wars that are out there are, and I'm sure you can speak to this after speaking to so many different people is people will find a diet where it just clicked for them, where adherence just seemed easy for them. And instead of saying, you know what, this diet was really easy for me to be consistent with. And that's why I think it worked. They kind of like try to retroactively go back and do fuckery with the science in order to justify why their way of doing things was physiologically the best way. Yeah. And that's kind of like how I was like 20 years ago, trying to go prove myself. Right. And now I just tell people like, it, you know, it's, I, it's really frustrating because I know it's so unsexy, but really if you just find a diet you can adhere to, it will work. Yeah. And we don't need, we, we see, you know, people say, well, everybody's different. I think people are very different in terms of what they respond to psychologically and sociologically but physiologically, we're not that different. I'm sorry. Like, yes, you have rare people with genetic issues and whatnot. But for the most part, humans are 99.9% .9 genetically identical. So, no, we're, you're not that different. You're not a unique snowflake. But right. that's great because, you know, what this all this data says is you can kind of pick what you like. I, right. mean, I, think, that's, I think that's actually fantastic. But generally there's room for the for the uh sociological differences for uh tradition for preference there that's that's where the room is absolutely and i think you know we've tried to i think a lot of people in the fitness industry in an effort to sound really smart try to kind of pick out and pick apart sociology from psychology from economic considerations from physiology right and the fact is, that's not how this works. The biopsychosocial model of things shows that all these things converge together. So when people say things like, well, obesity was caused by sugar or obesity was caused by, uh, you know, disparaging disparagement or dis differences in economics or obesity was caused by, I don't know, you know, uh, people become more sedentary. No, it's not any one of those things. It is a convergence of multiple different different factors coming together at this at the same time. And so, you know, we've always had kind of this. Um, I'm a fan of what's called the thrifty gene hypothesis, which is basically, you know, our ancestors that were able to best resist famine were probably the ones who passed their genes down. And so. My previous, my PhD advisor, Don Lehman, he's got a great saying, which is um, genetics just loads the gun for obesity. It's behavior that pulls the trigger, right? right? 
And so, yes, there are, you know, and the other thing to consider is like, you know, obesity is basically a last 60 years problem. Like before that, yeah, you had people who were obese, but it it wasn't truly very you know widespread. No, but then they were also, if you go back through history, they, they tended to be the wealthy people. Like the, the King was the fat guy. Right. So I actually tell people, I'm like, this is how, you know, we're actually living in, I know everybody loves the poo poo society and whatnot. I'm like, you know, we're actually living in like the least violent, um, like most prosperous society in history. And you can just tell by the number of overnourished people walking around. I mean, this, you know, go back 500 years and be like, hey, we got a problem. There's too much food. Right. <laughs> like people would be like, what, what, what? Yeah. Um, I can't yeah. find like I, I have I, my feeling on it is and I can't figure out if like over the course of history, malaria has killed more people than famine. But I suspect famine played a huge part in killing people just because oh, yeah. you'd wipe out whole whole regions of people with famine. And so there has been part of us as a species that has been working towards making food more readily, more readily available, more efficient, more abundant forever. And we arrive in today when we like, oh, we did it. Food is at every store you go to in America. It's on every corner that's industrial, that's that's um, civilized. And like we won. And there's this unintended consequence of obesity that that we have to now battle against. Right. Because you change anything that big for history. Thrifty Gene is amazing. Dutch hunger winter is super interesting. And there's these things where it's like motherfuckers can turn that switch really quick to like we need to store fat. That's all we're going to do. It's so funny. I was talking about like with a psychologist who was saying that like what protects us in childhood actually ends up like from trauma in childhood is actually what ends up harming our relationships in adulthood. Right. What has protected us, you know, in the past, which is setting up our society to produce high volumes of food. I mean, look at the agricultural revolu- revolution, which is basically the crux of civilization, right? Yeah. Like that is what started what we know as modern civilization. Um, now we have this problem where we have too much food, right? Yeah. Um, it was funny. I was watching um, uh, uh, one of Tom Segura's specials and he was talking about um, how he doesn't like to leave home and how soon you won't have to leave home because there'll be a bed that sits up. And if you have to take a poop, you just press a button and the bottom of the bed opens. You know, it's like we're laughing, but like we're probably not that far off of that sort of thing. You know? Somebody's got that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you look at I think this problem is only going to be more challenging in the future, especially if you look at you know, we're, we're only doing more of this and I'm guilty of it. Um, and even more so like now with the metaverse and these sorts of things where you're really going to suck people into basically an alternate reality where you exist somewhere else, your consciousness exists somewhere else, but your body is going to deteriorate if you don't do things with it, you know? So I think it's a really interesting and challenging problem and I'm glad I'm not in charge because I know I don't have all the answers, but Um, You know, I just try to set out what the research says currently about, you know, best practices. For so long, bread has been the forbidden fruit. It's been taboo. You can't possibly eat bread and be on a diet. You can't you can't eat bread and be healthy. Bread has become this sign of ill health. It's been removed from every diet I've been on for years and I've missed it. Do you miss bread? I miss bread, but I don't miss it anymore because now I found hero bread. 
I saw a random post on Instagram and it showed a guy eating a sandwich and the sandwich didn't look like the normal, you know, cardboard bland diet bread. You see these diet breads in the grocery store. They don't look right. They look off. They look stale. They're kind of falling apart or they have to be refrigerated. You know, there's something unbread like about their bread. Right. I saw this guy eating a sandwich on these huge, fluffy white pieces of white bread and my mouth started to salivate. And I thought there's no way that that has the same kind of macronutrient profile as the other diet breads. And then I looked closer and it did. No sugar. Excellent source of fiber. Looked terrifically delicious. Looked like real bread. There was nothing phony looking about it. So I ordered a loaf. And my mind was blown. I can't tell the difference between this and normal, quote unquote, normal bread. This doesn't come off like diet bread at all. It gives me all the sensations of normal bread. It's not overly small. You know, some of those diet breads, they're just like basically cutting a loaf of bread in half and giving you half a serving and saying, here's your diet serving of bread. This, you get a gigantic big piece of bread, half the calories a fraction of the carbs, a huge amount of fiber, and 100% tasty, and there's zero sugar in it. This bread cannot be beaten. It's incredible. It is a game changer. And Hero Bread has products from white bread and seeded bread to buns and tortillas. I make burritos, and there's nothing about them that seem diety to me. And yet they are. Be sure to check out the podcast description to use my link and use the special American Glutton listeners promo code for 10% off your first order with AG10 on Hero.co. That's AG10 on Hero.co. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Also follow Hero on Instagram at Hero. I try very hard to try like my attempt is and and it's not always easy but i i do try often to go like what what could possibly be right about this thing that has alarm bells going off for me that it's wrong and so let me just float this by you it's a theory and you could hate it but is there anything to the benefit of because we see so much in the in the diet space where and 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 it, it it's it's played perfectly to me throughout my entire life, where if I believed uh, nightshades were bad and I believed that that diet, I would go into the nightshade diet or the blood type diet or the fit for life or, or Beverly Hills going like this will solve me. And for me, again, for me, none of that had any long-term effect. I had to completely change my point of view. Um, now, I'm sure you've discussed this. Y yes. What, what, what? I'm going to take you off for a second. No, no, fine. Yeah, let's go. What? I, I think I kind of have an idea of what you're going to say. Okay. But what was it that finally clicked for you that made you realize what you actually needed to do? And what was that? Like, what was the fundamental thing? The fundamental thing that has given me the first time in my life of struggling with my weight, a long period of, of, maintaining a weight, whether, you know, even th there's just never been, I've had, I've maintained this weight loss for five years and I'm, it's not a day-to-day -day struggle. Uh, it was really shifting my point. First of all, there's a hundred or 
even a thousand small things that I've right. done that I've changed it, it life. You know, I don't like this word lifestyle change because it didn't make sense to me. Cause for me, I would go like, well, I, I don't eat carbs. That's a lifestyle change. Why isn't lifestyle change working? Right. But when I think about lifestyle change today, I go like my life today looks absolutely nothing like what it looked like 10 years ago. Nothing at all. There you go. And it's you my, became a different person. I became a different person. And the biggest thing with food is my perspective about the food is not, you know, I moralized food forever. Stuff was bad or good. I don't do that anymore. Nothing's bad or good. And this goes into my question to you, which is, is there any benefit, even if it's placebo to people saying this is the way? So there is a benefit in that you get that diet honeymoon phase, right? right? Like you'll be like super fired up about like, oh, I found the one thing. But the reality is, is the food is just the symptom. Right. The diet is just the symptom. Yeah. If you are not, so you said it exactly what I thought you would say. And I want to point out two things that really made this coalesce for me. So you would always post, I killed my clone today. You're yes. going to remember this text message I sent you. So there was a um, there was a recent like systematic review of people who like basically they isolated out instead of looking at what's the success or failure rate they said who's successful like who keeps it off for more than three years what commonalities do they have and a lot of stuff popped up like we thought you know exercise cognitive restraint self monitoring you know those sorts of things but the one thing that came up that I was not expecting but it makes total sense was they all almost to a person identified the fact that they basically had to become a different person. They had to establish a new identity. Yeah. If you are not willing to do that, you are not going to have lasting change. And I, I, I texted you and I said, when you say I killed my clone today, is this what you mean? Yeah. And, and you said, yes, that's exactly what you mean. There's this other person inside of you. And that if they had their way, this is how your life would look. Right. Yeah. So you have to create this other person inside of you that says, no, 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 I want to have this kind of life and I'm going to construct things around it. So like um, I always tell people, I just, I actually, I think I said this on Ed Milet's podcast for people who have a lot of weight to lose. Stop. First off, if you get focused on the mountaintop, it's going to seem like way too far of a climb. Think about the person that you want to become. Like imagine that in your mind. What does that person look like? Who is that person? Now, what do you think they do on a daily basis? What right. do you think their habits and behaviors are like, right? And now you can retroactively start to construct your life. Now, it, it's very hard. Changing your identity is very, very hard. Yeah. Um, and oh, it's the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is all the diets have have the mainstream diets tend to be you don't have to change your identity all, just change this one food thing. Exactly. And so, you know, if you think about like alcoholics, many of them say the same thing. I had to change my friend circle. I had to change the places I went. Uh, you know, I had to change everything because their entire life had kind of been constructed around their drinking schedule and how they do things, right? Same thing for drugs. Now, the really hard thing about drugs and alcohol, and this is why Obesity and eating disorders, and I'm not saying all people who are obese have eating disorders, but just in general, lumping those together, this is why it's so hard. 
imagine saying to a cocaine addict, well, you've got to have a little bit of cocaine every day. Right. Right. Because uh, you, you can't live without it. No, you can just abstain. Like you don't have to drink. You don't have to do coke. You don't have to do heroin, you know, whatever. You can't not do food. Yeah. Right. And so this is why long term weight maintenance and loss and maintenance is so difficult because and this is why I tell people, like, if you just get focused, it's just the carbs or it's just this. It's just it's for most people. I'm not saying all people for most people that is not going to be sufficient to change your life because you have to change your life like yeah. that's it's so hard. So the best advice I can give people when it comes to that is all these diets work. They all work. But you have to think about who you are as a person and what you want to be as a person and what you think that looks like and then retroactively start constructing that. Yeah. And that belief in this is the one and only path that that can have some benefit, but that will go away long term. Exactly. Because if you just fall back into your habits and behaviors that you established before, it's nothing's going to change. Right. So. That's the other thing I'll tell people when it comes to a diet, particular diet you pick, whether you're flexible dieting and you're tracking macros or you're um, doing low carb or you're doing low fat or you're doing intermittent fasting or plant-based or, you know, pick whatever you want. What you're on now, is it something that you feel you can maintain indefinitely? Now, I'm not saying you have to maintain the calorie deficit indefinitely. You can eat more food long-term, but the style and the way in which you are practicing cognitive restraint. Does it feel like something you can run a marathon with? Because if it feels like a sprint, it's probably going to be hard to maintain. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, even when I've done, tried to get as lean as possible, which for me, I I did at one point have this idea that I was going to get as lean as possible and just stay that lean. And that's not the case. Unfortunately, this is not, this is so much easier said than done. And I thought like, no, it was really hard, but I'm into really hard things. And then it, and then it becomes like, Oh no, life sucks. Like, well, the, the, and, and that's, that's also the thing I'll tell people like, listen, you got to get this idea out of your head. First off, you can be very, very healthy having no visible abs whatsoever. Right. So, like I tell people this all the time, most of the benefits of weight loss are in the first 10% of the weight loss. Yeah. So don't worry about trying to be shredded if you're worried about your health. Now, every, th- th- that being said, everyone likes to look good naked. There's not a person on this planet who doesn't want to look better naked. That's, that's the fact. But I will tell you that when you get to a certain level of leanness, it is like falling off a cliff. Yeah. And all those things that felt good before now feel horrible it's very easy to become food obsessed, food focused. It's very easy to make it, you know, completely your life. And I know this from competing in bodybuilding and getting to a level of leanness that 99.999% of people will never achieve. And that's not bragging. It's just what I did. Yeah. Um, I, you have to basically become obsessed. I mean, yeah. and, and that's okay for a season of your life, but the idea that you're going to maintain that uh, you do not want to maintain that, that level. I mean, when I got ready for my pro bodybuilding shows back in 2010, um, by the end, I mean, I'm somebody who has very high testosterone nat- naturally. Um, so I've never taken anything and my testosterone will be around 800 to 1,000 just kind of naturally. My testosterone was hypogonadal by the time I was at contest lean. Oh, wow. So, like I'm telling you, falling off a cliff, I would get lightheaded just standing up. Yeah. I, like to like walk was like a monumental effort. Like you can't imagine this level of low energy. So just want to, so for those of you looking at these 
models on magazine covers a few different things. One, they feel horrible, most of them. Two, uh, they don't look like that year round for the most part. And if they do, they're probably on quite a, I'm not saying for everybody, but if they are, most of them are on some sort of performance enhancing drugs or they have no social life and they don't actually enjoy the physique they've built and they're just staying in their home, you know, cooking meals, which I mean, if it's a lifestyle choice, it's a lifestyle choice. But I think one of the things I've been saying to people is, I think a lot of frustration comes with people is trying to do all of the things at all of the time, yeah. right? I'm going to save, I'm going to focus on my savings and I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to save money and I'm going to invest in my friendships and I'm going to, you know, get ready for a bodybuilding show. Like, you, no, no. I think over the course of your life, it's important to have balance, right? You don't want to be a workaholic over the course of your life, but at some points in your life, you're going to have to be a workaholic if you want to be successful. Like that's, that's a season of your life. When I was in graduate school, in that season of my life, I was not family focused. I was focused on going through grad school. When I was competing in bodybuilding, I was not focused on business. I was focused on bodybuilding. When I was focused on building my business. So you have to, you have to be willing to say, in this season of my life, this is what I'm choosing to focus on. And I just find so many people get frustrated because they feel like they should be able to do all of the things all the time. And I said this to somebody the other day, I'm like, well, man, maybe that just means for the next two years, you're, you're not going to spend many weekends going out. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, it, that's okay. It becomes super complex, this aspect for people who, and, and possibly anyone who wants to lose weight, who's like really struggled with weight loss for a long time, because I think we become very accustomed to uh, telling ourselves how, how bad we look or having this negative uh, self-image. And so if we get down to the, the super leanness it, it, and then that is also unobtainable, then it becomes like, well, now I, you know what I mean? Like there is no, it's very hard because even me today, I'm not a super physically confident guy. And if you compare what I look like now to what I looked like at my heaviest, it's like, what am I like? I get mad at myself. Like, shut the fuck up, dude, you look great. And I just don't believe it or feel it. And so even when I was at my leanest, you know, and I got to 9% body fat and felt miserable. I was doing a, a photo shoot with my shirt off. I would flex and my, I would watch my vision go away. It would get dark, 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 dark. And I'd have to stop and then be like, take a breath, hold on to something and then flex again. Like who, who can live like that? It's crazy. Yeah. No, I think, um, it's really important to understand trade-offs. I think one of my favorite quotes uh, from Thomas Sowell is, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. Yeah. And if you can really like accept that, so what you're saying, like it's not that doing that was bad, it's just that you need to understand this is how you're going to feel, this is what your life's going to look like, and that can be okay for a season, but it's, it's not gonna be long-term. And I think when it comes to body image issues and self-confidence issues, like, there's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Like it doesn't matter how lean you get, how much muscle you get. I have been around a pro bodybuilder and I'm not gonna say who it was, but this is an IFBB pro bodybuilder who probably competed at 270 pounds, shredded, wow. huge. Big boy. This, this person got second at the Olympia and they would not let certain people take photos with them because they were worried about how they would look in the photo. 
Like, can, can you imagine being one of the best bodybuilders on the planet and be worried about looking small, right? right. So that's what like, I tell people all the time. I, I used to have clients who would be like, oh, I'm you know, going to the Arnold Classic, but I was going to go, but I think I'm going to cancel because you know, I put on some body fat. I just can't stand for people to see me like this. And I'm like, here's what you think is happening. You think everyone's looking at you. The reality is everybody is so focused on themselves and their own issues. They don't even see you. Like, right. trust me. That's why people were like, you know, because again, I'm like, uh, I competed in natural bodybuilding. I never took steroids, that sort of thing. No disrespect towards those who choose to. It's just a personal choice. Um, so I'm when I walk around the Arnold, like I'm pretty small guy comparatively to some of these guys. And people are like, oh, doesn't that make you, I've had people say, doesn't that make you feel insecure? I'm like, I literally don't care because I know that other person is probably way more insecure than me anyway, because I'm, right. I'm a pretty confident guy. Now, it's funny you bring this up of like your own image of yourself. So I was bullied growing up really terribly. And it took me like a decade of therapy before I got to the point of being like, oh, it's actually okay for me to be confident now because I have all these things that like this objective data that says I'm not this person I was when I was a kid, this unconfident, you know, um, really deeply insecure person, but that takes a lot of work. And again, like when it comes to your insecurities towards your, your physical appearance, like obtaining the physical appearance, isn't going to change that. What's going to change that is changing how you feel about yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's, that is some deep, deep work that takes a lot of time. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the one aspect of healthy at every size that I appreciate because yeah. I I just go like it, it, I didn't actually make a change until I had the confidence. And that's not it's not utter confidence. It's just a little bit of faith, you know, that I can succeed at something. Right. Yeah. It's like the step from total failure to I can tie my shoes. It was like that much confidence. And that allowed me to pursue having having some change and then that caused more and more and it, and it kind of grew so i do think there's something about like f finding something because i don't think many people get stuff done feeling like they can't do anything you know like i cannot succeed why try why bother so that is the that is the dichotomous rub that everyone has to deal with which yeah. is i get asked all the time how do I gain more confidence? Cause I, I had, I'll never forget this. I was, um, I had a picture with my shirt off that was online. I mean, I, I think I look pretty good, you know, but there are people who are body dysmorphic who think everybody should have a shredded six pack all the time. And somebody like made some comments about me and I just said, I don't really care what you think. I think I look pretty good. Yeah. And somebody messaged me like, how do you get that kind of confidence? And I'm like, I started thinking about this and I'm like, you know what, when it comes to confidence, you can read all the books you want. You can talk about it all you want. The only way, in my opinion, to build confidence is to go do hard stuff that you might fail at. Right. Because where I got confident was through going, doing hard stuff, whether it be uh, bodybuilding, powerlifting, PhD, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, all that kind of public speaking, doing hard stuff, experiencing a lot of setbacks and still pressing forward it gave me the confidence over time. And this, I'm talking about like 20 years of this stuff, right? That now it's kind of like, all right, it doesn't matter what comes. And if I'm not dead, I'm going to figure it out, you know? Yeah. But if you are not willing to put yourself out there, and I call it being in the arena, 
if you're not willing to put yourself out there and do hard stuff, you will never get confidence. That's just, it, it, it's, it sucks because, you know, ideally as a human being, we should know that we have value and we should have some confidence just based off that, off our own gifts and whatnot that we brought into the world. But that's not really how it works, right? So the way to really build that is to do hard things. And you mentioned it. It wasn't like you just woke up one day and were like, I'm a confident person and I like who I am, right? It was like, I tied my shoes. So I, I tell people, I'm like, when you're goal setting, and this is kind of getting back to the New Year's resolutions, like don't start off with the, like you can have the goal of I want to lose hundred pounds or 200 pounds or whatever it is, but start with tying your shoes, yeah. right? Like start with something. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk every day this week for at least 20 minutes, right? Yeah. So, something that you know, you can do, you know, you can do, you know, that there'll be part of you that will try to stop you. But you know that it's not an unobtainable goal. Right. And then when you've had those days where you feel like, oh, I don't feel like going out for a walk, but you do it anyway, eventually it turns into a habit. And now you have gained some small amount of confidence that, hey, regardless of what happens, I'm going to go out for that walk. And then maybe it's I'm going to the gym and then maybe it's, well, I'm going to deadlift 200 pounds or, you know, whatever you want to pick. Right. And then over time, those goals accumulate. You know, I, I set, you know, back in 2015, I set a world squat record of 668 pounds at 205 pounds body weight. There is That's no insane. way the per there's no way the person I was when I was 18 years old could have possibly fathomed that. Like, you know, people, it's funny when people talk about having a vision. I'm like, I didn't have a vision for that, you know, but by starting to do some hard things, by pushing myself, by pushing myself through those setbacks that came up. I was able to build some of that confidence and I'm, I'm not sure what your experience has been, but I would say for me, if I hadn't had those setbacks and had to press through them, I wouldn't be nearly as confident as I am today. Yeah, I think the same. I do wish I, you know, and I think it's easier said than done because I think, I think part of what you're saying is exactly what I experienced, which is like, I had so many setbacks and failures, which, which over time adjusted my perspective and but I then go like, why didn't I just figure this out 20 years ago? You know what I mean? Why couldn't I have just woken up and thought differently about the world and life and the way I ate 20 years ago? But I just don't, I don't, tools. yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that. Okay. Speaking of tools, um, there are so many incredible tools for diet and waste, weight loss. Your app I think is outstanding. I use your app. I love it. Carbon. Um, People, there's Hero Bread. Hero Bread has bread that I can't tell the difference between it and quote unquote normal bread. And it's half the calories and it's not filled with, it's not like just unpronounceable words. It's bread. Right. There's all these things. What is the motivation of people to say, this is the one thing? This is the thing. Is it just greed? Is it just marketing 101? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So... It's funny, Ethan, you're talking about all these incredible tools that are out there. And I am, I was looking over my book, bookshelf because I still have uh, the complete book of food counts that I bought like 25 years ago when I first got into to lift, or probably not 25 years ago, like 22 years ago when I was first getting ready in, into bodybuilding. And um, I remember going through the store and just like, oh, okay, this thing, page 500. Yeah, yeah Calorie King. I carried that around. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there. Like now it's like, just, you just go up and scan it. Like, you know, like it's yeah. so easy. So I tell people like, they're really, like you said, there are some incredible tools, like the low calorie foods that are available today that have amazing taste compared to what you, I can remember using Atkins like syrups, like zero calorie syrups. <laughs> I mean, it's basically water with flavoring in it. Like yeah. it was not, there was no viscosity, nothing, you know, now you've got like sugar-free syrups and you literally can't taste the difference between them and the real thing, you know? So um, yeah, there are some incredible tools. As far as people like making it out to be the one thing, and it's interesting you bring up Carbon Diet Coach, our app. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, and I have a great relationship with the guys at Renaissance Periodization. Hey, what's the difference between your app and, and Carbon? Why is Carbon better? And I said, well, Carbon may not be better for you. Like, like so RP's app is, a, and again, I've not used it. I've, I've understood from users, a little bit more rigid. You know, it's you're going to eat these meals at these times. It's going to give you specific foods. For some people, that's way too constraining and it's not you know, good for them and they want more flexibility. I'm like that, right? But for other people, that may be exactly what they need. Maybe they need more training wheels to start out. Maybe that's exactly what they need to start. And so what I always say is like, hey, like, you know, maybe their app is better for you right now, like in the season you're in. You know what I mean? Maybe one day ours will be better for you. But if not, like, I just want you to get good help. So try both and see what you like better, you know? Yeah, for me, the... the the th and and I'm not knocking any apps because uh, my wife uses uh uh I forget what it is it's it's a very big app anyway I'm blanking on the name there's a bunch of apps she yeah, uses yeah. a different app than me for me it was always just the ease with with which I could add the foods that I'm eating and it's not categorized as anything other than what's in it so I've had other apps where it's like no you're entering your fat this is just oh, a yeah. fat food and this is yeah. just a carbohydrate food and this is a protein food and you have to list out how you're eating all of these things and that's not how i compose my meals because yeah. every single other than zero percent yogurt which i eat almost every day but other than that or whey protein every bit of protein i eat has a little fat so it's right. not it's not just protein and then 
And then I have the yogurt. The yogurt isn't even just protein because it has some carbohydrate in it. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was always my confusion with um, other apps. But I, you know, and as far as the rigidity, I have six meals listed in carbon and I'm often only eating four meals. You know, I wish I was eating six. And then I get to the end of the day, I'm like, I ate four and it doesn't matter because I got what I needed. Um, Right. And that's what, that was our crux is we wanted to take like a zero judgment approach to food, you know, uh, and even like we kind of take a weight neutral approach too. And that it's not just a weight loss app, you know, there's some muscle building parts to it, reverse dieting, maintenance. So, you know, again, like I tell people, and this gets more into like understanding when somebody's actually an expert versus somebody just trying to sell you something, you know, like when I make an argument, usually I'll make at least some form of both sides of the argument. Right. Sure. Like I'm, I'm giving the devil's advocate side of things because I want to capture that argument so that then I can tell you why I think the way I think, which is opposite. Right. Um, if somebody's using the words always, never, best, worst, you the know, charlatan, or, the charlatan is, red flags. This is the way, you know, I interviewed uh, Alan Levinovitz for uh, a podcast a while back. He's a, a I think he's a religious scholar. Um, author, but he had a a very interesting book about naturalism. And um, he said, you know, it's really hard to identify for people who's an expert because the way experts actually talk is the exact opposite by what you would expect, which is they kind of sound unsure because they say things like maybe, possibly, it would seem likely, suggest, you know, whereas you have these people who are very, very, seemingly very, very confident which is, you know, yes, this is the way, do this, do that. And the funny thing is, is that ignorance always comes across as confidence, right? Yeah. Like, I think when they say, when you drink from the fountain of knowledge, you will thirst for the ignorance you once had, because you will never feel more confident than like, you know, a few months into researching something. And so getting to your point, like, why do people do this? I used to think it was completely profit driven. Right. And now, I, I don't think that anymore. I think profit definitely matters, but I think it's actually more of a side effect of that people are just very tribal. Yeah. They, they want their team to win. And, you know, like you can see this. I mean, politics is the easiest example, right? Like you basically have 80% of America just boom, in two camps, right? And, you know, I've heard people who are good people who are Republicans say, well, if you voted Democrat, then you know, you're supporting terrorism and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really, guys, do you really think that, you know, and then, you know, you've got uh, Democrats who will say, well, if you voted for Trump, you're a Nazi. And I'm like, you know, some Republicans who are good people, like, you know, they're not Nazis, you know, like, like, so I think it's so easy for people to have this, like, um, like, if you take two magnets and try to push them together when they're opposing charges, they just repel, you know, I actually (laughs) So this would be funny. You, you know, I don't know if you follow college football or NFL at all, but Tim Tebow. So I, I know who he this, is. Yeah. yeah, I used to call this the Tim Tebow effect. And my, um, this is like 10 years ago, but my hypothesis was you were, nobody was in the middle about Tim Tebow. Because <laughs> you loved him or you hated him. You loved him or you hated him. And I, I like, when I first started watching, I'm like, why is this guy so controversial? He seems pretty nice. And yeah, he's a little religious. And some people might find that preachy, but whatever. And then as I watched, it's like, if you kind of didn't like him, maybe you thought he's a little preachy, whatever. And then you see all these people over here saying he's the best quarterback in the NFL. 
he's the GOAT, you know, this and that. And you're like, what are you talking about? Look at his throwing mechanics. He's terrible. He's basically a tight end playing quarterback, right? Yeah. But then if you kind of liked him, you look at all these people over here being like, oh, look at how terrible he is. He sucks. He shouldn't even be on a – he shouldn't even be a third-string quarterback. And then, you over, you know, people over here go, this – I kind of fell into this camp. I kind of liked him. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, how many playoffs games has your quarterback won, right? So – I think when it comes to any subject, it's so easy for human beings to just go, I don't care about truth. I care about my team winning, right? right? Like, I care about my team winning. And I, I actually, um, so my podcast with Ed Milet, I saw somebody had reposted it and she was a doctor who um, uh, like focuses on plant-based diets. And it was really interesting to see her take on my appearance because she was basically saying, oh, you know, here's Lane saying that a plant-based diet is actually better than a ketogenic diet. And to go back and see the mental gymnastics it took to get there, which was basically what I said was, hey, a low-fat diet can be just as effective for fat loss as a ketogenic diet. And here's some downsides of the ketogenic diet. I never said a plant-based diet was superior. Right. You know, and in fact, I actually messaged him like, hey, kind of misrepresenting what I said. I'd appreciate it if you, you know, either took it down or added, you know, some caveats to it, which she did, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I think we're just so ready to, and that's what we call a confirmation bias, right? We're so ready to defend what we believe to be true yeah. that we completely omit things to the contrary and we accept blindly whatever supports it. And there was actually a study, I'm going to, again, in politics where they presented both Democrats and Republicans with information that would either refute a position they held objectively, or it would support a position they held objectively. And I, I can't remember some of the exact, I think one of the things was um, for Democrats that, that they believe that George Bush had, um, what was it, um, that he had uh, banned uh, stem cell research or something of that nature. Right. And the reality is he had actually just uh, cut government funding for stem cell research, but people could still do stem cell research, right? Oh, well, right. I remember this. And then there was talk that it was from a this was a law being passed from a religious perspective. Right. right. Yes. I remember. So. This. So the point being, um, I'm, I don't have a dog in this race or a horse in this race. The point being, regardless of if it was Republicans or Democrats, when they presented them with information that either refuted or supported a stance they held, both things were equally as effective at reinforcing what they already believed to be true. So right. when you when you actually showed something objective that says you're wrong on this, they didn't just say, "Oh, you know what? You're right. I, I was wrong." They it actually would, doubled down and were like, yeah. they actually became more um, dug in. Yeah. And so I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, I think that this yes, profit matters, but I think it's much more about people trying to justify what they already believe to be true. I think there's a degree of the uh, blue and black, white and yellow, white and gold dress. Do you know this meme that went around? There was a meme and it was a, a picture of a meme. picture of a dress. Mm -hmm. And it said, is this blue and black or white and yellow? Something like that. And I looked at it and to me, it was very obviously these two colors. And I was like, how could anybody ever like anybody who picks the other colors is a moron. And I showed it to my kids and they thought I was lying. They were like, you're lying. <laughs> it's the other colors. And this was so startling to me because my kids truly, I thought they were 
messing with me at first. They were not messing with me. They really saw other colors. And I think there's a little bit of that just in life where there are, and, and I, but I think it mostly comes down to values. And the problem I have with all of this is that science has no values. There's no value system. We can, a person can have a value and base a scientific study off the value, looking for the best way to get a result that helps their value. But science itself has no values. So anytime I hear somebody attaching their values to a study, a study is good or bad in, in a way that it's, moral or immoral. I'm just like, it could be moral for me, but that doesn't mean that it's moral for anybody else. It could uh, tribute to my values. It could help me with my values, but I'm trying very hard to not expect that everybody has the same values as I do. And then when they don't, and I hear people going like, this is the best. I'm like, it's not the best for me though. And yeah. it's definitely not the best for the majority of the people I know who have tried it. So it cannot be the best. Right. And I, I tell this all the time. I'm like, when people say, well, the, the ketogenic diet's obviously superior, or, you know, pick your diet, whichever. And I'm like, but how can you say that? Like how many examples of people like, or they'll say something like you can't lose fat on a, on a, on a high carb diet because insulin. I'm like, how many millions of examples of people losing fat on a low fat diet do we need before you're like, hey, that actually exists and it works, you know, yeah. like, is it a big government conspiracy? You know, so, you know, I think I'm very careful, at least now, maybe when I was younger, I probably was guilty of this, but I, I'm really careful not to like, to a bad study or is a good study or this and that. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, this was a really well-designed study, but it's always like framed with, okay, to answer the question that they wanted to answer. Right. Yeah, everything requires context. Right. None of this stuff is without context. So like, but a lot of it's presented as though, no, it's a moral thing. It's good. Right. And it's like, good in what way, right? Was yeah. it designed well to answer the question? Did it answer the question? It's so puzzling to me. Yeah, and you see it too, like, especially if you, if anybody wants to see an example of this, just follow my Twitter, you know, where, I'll say something to the effect people ask me like seed oils, for example, you know, this is the latest hot thing. This is like sugar 10 years ago. Uh, Cause they got to move on to something else that's causing, you know, <laughs> us to be fat and sick as opposed to just too much energy. Um, and I'll say, well, here's the data. And um, you know, do I think that it's innocuous? No, you know, the number one source of added energy in our diets over the last 20 years has been added oils. So, there is a role for seed oils to play in the obesogenic environment. Do I think that with absolutely no context that seed oils are just bad? No, I don't. Um, there's quite a bit of objective data to show that like out of, you know, they're at least neutral compared to say saturated fat on inflammation. And when you look at the risk of heart disease, there's actually a decreased risk of heart disease. Uh, it's either neutral or decrease. So you can't really make the claim that they're, you know, quote unquote bad, but like, it's so funny that the argument will be something like, well, anybody who would support the use of seed oils, I'm just not going to listen to. Right. It's like, you're a bad guy. You're like on the bad team. I'm not really supporting the use. I'm just telling you what the data says, you know, like that's why I, there's a, there was a meme of me like 10 years ago. It was a picture of me from a bodybuilding contest. And I just won like two swords, right? I got my shirt off and I'm holding these swords crossed like this. 
and it's somebody just put in don't hate me hate the data <laughs> that's awesome and uh yeah that's what i always say is i'm like listen i'm i'm not supporting or not or saying this is bad i'm just saying this is what the data says yeah now, if you if you don't want to eat them that's that's fine but like don't look outside and tell me the sky is pink if it's not pink like i can see the sky you right. know um and i mean the same thing with sugar i mean i put up an article that got a lot of traction and a lot of people very angry with me about why I don't think that sugar was the cause, the sole cause of the obesity epidemic. And I'm just like, listen, like, and at the beginning of the article, I said, before you read this article, please ask yourself, how much data would you need to feel comfortable changing your mind? And if you don't have an objective amount in your head, then you might as well stop reading, okay? So I know how much data it will take to change my mind on, on given topics, right? Now, if it's some, if it's a, if it's a hypothesis that I feel like is very, like, for example, um, gravity, right? Like, um, pretty confident that that, you know, like, um, yeah, like we got a lot of yeah. those data points, you know what I mean? Like we got a lot of data points that say that that's going to go towards the ground 9.8 meters per second squared. But if it's something, you know, that so it, it would take an overwhelming amount of like life altering data for me to change my mind about that, right? But when it comes to some of this diet nutrition stuff that is very lightly studied, it may not take that much to change my mind on certain things, right? And I always tell people, I, I really like um, Hitchens Razor, which is um, extraordinary, extraordinary claims require extraordinary data. Right. So if you're gonna claim that the ketogenic diet is the best diet for fat loss, you better have an absolute slew of studies that you're going to lay down that are showing that the ketogenic diet, calorie per calorie, causes more fat loss. Um, you know, and then the other one is that which can be asserted about without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So, uh, you know, people will make crazy claims all the time. And this is, I think it just, I've kind of lamented the other day. I'm like, does nobody get taught basic logic anymore? It's a real epidemic. Um, cause you know, people will make a claim and I'll, I'll say, well, there's no evidence to support that. And they say, well, you can't prove that it doesn't do that. Right. And I'm like, okay, so let's extend that logic out to like a, an endpoint that makes it very apparent that that logic is illogical. Yeah. Um, I can't prove that there's not a teacup orbiting Saturn. Like, I can't, <laughs> right. I can't disprove that there's a teacup orbiting Saturn. Like I have yeah. no way to do that. I don't have access to satellites. Even if I did have a satellite, you can't see every part of Saturn at one time, right? But I have a high degree of confidence that there's not a teacup orbiting Saturn, right? Yeah. So you just, again, I think that these are some, again, like I, I said, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not in charge because some of these things are just human things. I, I'm not sure how we fix it. Yeah, I, I don't know how we fix it either. I I, th- I think with the ketogenic diet, I think that a lot of people return to it because there is such a and 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 it is from a point of not understanding that it's majority like uh glucose and 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 water depletion but you you get such a quick benefit in a week you can see a big difference if you purge your system of carbohydrates that it's like well i the feeling I always had was I, w- I did something wrong. You know what I mean? Like somebody was sneaking sugar into my meat. It was right. literally, I had that thought and I would go through all of my condiments and, and try to find where was the carbohydrate? Oh, I, 
I ate a bite too much cheese. And, you know, there is a small amount of carbs and cheese and that was throwing me off. And yet I was always in keto and in ketosis. And so I just kept having this feeling like that first week, that first two weeks was so beneficial. Why does that stop? And it's like, well, I didn't have the data. I didn't know, you know, so that that's the one that does it for me. And again, I, I, I know a guy, I, I don't know him, but I've heard from a guy like I have long-term sustained weight loss on keto. And I'm like, that's great. Share your experience, but frame it as this is my experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. frame it as this is how this worked for me, not this is what's right for everyone. And so many people are guilty of that, myself included. So when I was in college, um, you know, I was having episodes of binge eating. Uh, when, because I was trying to eat clean, which by the way, there's no objective definition of eating clean. It's a very triggering term for me now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what are you spraying Windex on it? Um, and so what I did was I'm like, you know what? I, I think it's probably not a slice of pizza that's killing me. I think it's the fact that when I eat pizza, I'm eating the entire thing. Right. right. So why don't I track my macros, just hit a certain calorie amount and see if that works. And what I found was I was able to modify my body composition exactly the way I wanted based on my calories and macros. Yeah. And I'm like, so when I got the grad school, I'm like, you know, I can solve the obesity epidemic. Just bring people to me and I'll put them on these macros and tell them they can eat what they want to hit it. And it's like, no, dumb, dumb. Not everybody's wired like you. Like I'm my uh, best friend says I'm a robot and, and that he's never seen anybody that like when I basically in my mind, when enough data enters, it doesn't matter what my habits are. It doesn't matter what has happened beforehand, it's like a switch flips. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this now. You know, yeah. I'm just very unique when it comes to that kind of stuff. So what was great for me is as I started working with people, I'm like, oh, these people aren't robots. Okay, there actually is some other stuff here, right? It was like a great learning experience for me. I have a friend who owns uh, some freestanding uh, ER units and he's, a, he's an emergency room doctor. I love his quote and it's a little bit off, but it'll apply. He said, what I wanted was employees and what I got was people. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, so that's every different diatribe. Well, if we could just get people to stop eating sugar. Oh, if we could just do this, if we could just do that, if we could just outlaw this. It's like, no, none of that stuff is actually going to make a difference long term. Maybe it makes a difference for a few people, but everybody has a different reason that they wind up at the same end point, which is we're consuming too much energy. We're not doing enough physical activity. That right. is the mechanistic income out or mechanistic outcome of why people are becoming obese but the ways in which we try to adjust that the behavior-based ways in which we do that are probably going to look quite individualistic yeah. right and so i really think that this is and and because of what we talked about where you know you can't just abstain from food like it's not it's not a it's not a solution right so i think that this stuff is is very difficult to iron out and i wish i had all the answers but um, yeah all i can say is you know there's a lot of tools out there there's many different ways to skin a cat you know don't feel like you've got to be pigeonholed into one different approach you should try many different approaches but at the at the core you know if you have a lot of weight that you want to lose you do have to change who you are as a person that's that's probably a non-negotiable yeah and that's the hardest thing to really you know, it's the thing that we resist going to rehab, but it's the most vital part, you know, like if you're 
lifestyle, if, you, if the way you're living is conducive to using drugs and alcohol in a reckless way, and you don't really make massive, broad adjustments, you probably are going to, you know, and not to say nobody can, right? You, yeah. You're going to have one guy who just wakes up one day and is obese and goes, I don't want to do this anymore. And then miraculously doesn't really follow anything rigidly and winds up losing the weight. That's going to happen. You're going to have the one again. It would be all anecdotal because I've never seen any evidence of this, but a guy go from being morbidly obese to not and not have any loose skin. That's going to happen. Maybe again, I I've oh, it, never, does. It, has. it has. Right. Sure. But the majority of people are going to have loose skin and then don't get sucked into the well, if you just go under a red light, it'll make it all tighten up. Or, you know, if you just eat seaweed three times a day, it'll go away. <laughs> like it just that's not going to be the case for everyone. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's it's funny. Um, there's a quote when the I think it's Eric Thomas. He said, when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, that's when we change. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a, my quote is. You're not going to walk yourself towards a new life while dragging your old habits and behaviors behind you. Yes. You have to expel them. You have to get rid of them, right? And um, my brother, I don't really talk about him much um, because for a long time, we didn't really have a relationship. But my brother, Jamin, uh, hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing this. I don't think he will. So he was a drug addict um, for a long period of time, even went to prison for a period of time. And um, you know, now we have a much better relationship He's really like turned his life around. He owns like a, a roof, like he does roofing contracting work. Like he's, he runs his company. He has his own company. And I asked him one day, I never asked him this question. I said, what was like, what was it that got, finally got it to flip? Like, what like, was it going to prison? Like, what was it? he goes? No, it wasn't that. He said, I just woke up one day and I realized I lose everything. I get a relationship and I lose it. I get some money and I lose it. I get a job and I lose it. I get some stuff and I lose it. He's like, I just woke up one day and realized I was sick of losing everything. Yeah. And I think like, maybe not everybody has an epiphany that, that that's profound, but I think you kind of have to get to that point where you just go, I am sick of this shit and I'm not doing it anymore. And I don't care whatever the pain I have to endure to get away from this is worth it. And I think you said it like you were, you said, if you think about the lifestyle you had to set up to be 500 pounds. It was infinitely more difficult than what you do now, which is go to the gym a couple hours a day and prep your meals, right? Leaps and bounds more effort to be fat than it is to live the way I live now. But I think it's one of those things like the old adage, you know, if you, I keep looking around because my cat is trying to find any way to come up here and like <laughs> get affection from me. I'm sorry, buddy. I know you're, you're, you missed me. Um, so it's, it's like that old saying, if you throw a frog in water, in boiling water, it jumps out. But if you boil it slowly in the water, it stays in and cooks to death. Yeah. And I think that that's the that's one of the problems with obesity is nobody becomes obese overnight. Right. Like this is a years, a years long process, decades long process. And so you never woke like if you woke up tomorrow and you were 500 pounds, you'd be like, oh, this we're getting yeah. this shit off, you know, yeah. Um, but when you get there over the course of time, you have made these small adjustments day by day to deal with that lifestyle. And it's not until 
you can have that epiphany of it's hard. It's hard. It's so, and this is one of the things that with people who are obese, there's a lot of recency. So recency is a trait where you value short-term data much more than long-term data. Yeah. And so the uncomfortableness of going to the gym or of prepping your meals, or whatever, it feels insurmountable. And you also look at it, you, there's a very low degree of trust that if you actually do it, that you'll get the outcome you want. And so one of the things I say with people is if you have a big goal you want to hit, and trust me, losing a lot of weight is a big goal. That's very difficult. There's a reason not a lot of people are able to do it. You have to, most people will do work, will do the work if they're promised an outcome. Like if you knew 100% guaranteed, if you do these steps, Ethan, you'll lose 300 pounds. Yeah. Is there any question that you would have done it? No. Right. I would have done it. But here's the rub. You have to be willing to commit to it with absolutely zero promise of an outcome. Right. And the reality is like, if you do the work, you can get there. Like if you can do it, you're not, you're not crazy special. You just got consistent with it, right? You got brutally consistent with, and changed your life. Anyone can do that, but it's really, really hard. And so I think trying to build this trust with people who are obese that like, it's not going to be for nothing. If you put this work in and you are consistent, you can get there. These experiences that you've had, these failures, yes, they're, they're, there's reasons for all of them. But at the end of the day, it was you just you hadn't found the right tools yet. Yeah. Right? Like you just had not found the right tools yet. And maybe you hadn't committed to changing who you are as a person. But it can be done. But you got to go all in. You can't like and when I say all in, I don't mean like organic, wild caught everything and tough eating out. of tough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to give yourself to the process. And I mean, that's something they talk about with addicts, right? You like you give up control. You give yeah. yourself to the process, right? And you have, there is that switch that has to flip that you just say, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. This is who I am as a person. And this is what I do. So I'll tell people all the time. I love, overall, I love to train. I love to train. It's, it's my most, I love it, but I don't always love it. There are days, there are weeks, there are months where I hate training. But I don't, the idea of like, I don't feel like training, it doesn't matter to me because like, that's just who, that's what I do. Like, yeah. that's just who I am, right? Like, this is part of who I am. And so feelings don't need to enter into it for me. It's just part of me. Yeah. The, the last thing I want to say, and, it, and it's kudos to you and guys like you who are doing this is the, the, the biggest change to diet specifically with diet that I had never experienced on any of the diets I was on as a kid, or even in my early relationship with dieting on my own was the idea of a diet break. And Ooh. that, because I, I think of a diet break and, and, and this idea of maintaining my, my weight as training for the rest of my life. And it, and it's the hardest thing as a guy who still needed to lose weight to go, I'm now going to take a few months and not lose weight and work my ass off to not lose weight. That was the hardest thing for me. But by the time I'd done it a number of times, it was the most valuable because that's where I learned to eat when I was done with my diet. Because your experience has been, I'm either losing weight or I'm gaining it. There was no in-between. There was right? no in-between. So, so that I considered still part of the diet, but it was totally foreign to me. So I think I'm going to say something and you let me know if this is the case. 
that probably just infinitely increased your trust in the process. A, a million percent. I mean, it was very difficult to get on the scale and see no change. Anytime I see no change, even today when I'm maintaining my weight and I see no change, it's upsetting to me. Yeah. But the fact that I got through months of no change when I then went to diet again and then dieting was easier than it had been at the end of my last phase of dieting and weight was coming off quicker, it brought it all together. And I, I suddenly had more faith that when it was done, I was going to know what to do. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I tell people like, you know, we get, we love to get caught up in the minutia and like, listen, it's so funny. People will say things like, Oh, well, Lane just talks about broad topics. He doesn't have the deep knowledge. I'm like, as you go back to podcasts, you can listen where I talk about mTOR stimulation and fat oxidation and beta oxidation. Like I can go deep down into the cellular mechanics of this stuff. Right. That's not going to change anybody's life. Yeah. Like that, that knowledge means nothing. It really does. I would not nothing, but, to the average person, like you said it best, if the house is on fire, just get out of the house. Yeah. Like you can figure out whose fault it was later. You can figure out what started the fire later, but get out, you know? Yeah. Like, so when we, I think a lot of people will say, well, we just don't know. We, I just don't know what to do. You kind of know what to do. Right. You, you know, like not maybe each individual, but you have an idea of what an overall healthy diet looks like and doesn't look like, yeah. you know? We can debate monounsaturated versus saturated. We can debate low carb versus high carb. At the end of the day, there's many ways to skin a cat. And so I really get focused on the big, the big box these days, right? So, you know, even I'm a big, a big fan of protein, you know, I'm a big protein guy, but I'm starting with adherence. That is the most important thing. Like, how do we get that, you know, absolutely maxed out? Because we got to focus on picking up these big bricks before we start picking up pebbles. Yeah. Um, and if we can get the big bricks out of the way, then we can look at, you know, how much energy do we put into the pebbles? But do you, think, can, can we talk about health? Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, man. So here's my question on health because the, the latest thing, and, and it's happened a few times, right? Keto was massive. Now we're running into health and health seems to be this big push. And I'm hearing it on bigger and bigger podcasts where you can, handle health by eating healthy food. And to me, it always goes like, well, obesity is a big problem. If we handled obesity, it would handle health or it would make all these markers that you're looking to adjust better. There is no guarantee that if you just eat healthy food, you're going to lose weight. None at all. That's correct. What is this push for, for, it, it just seems like another marketing scheme. So I think there are foods that are more conducive to helping somebody lose and maintain weight. You know, obviously, like, can you eat processed foods and lose weight? Of course you can. Like, I'm somebody who, you know, I, I, a great, um, you talked earlier about, like, people draw the wrong associations, right? So I had somebody who was like, I, I cannot eat sugar and lose weight. Like, it's just not possible for me. Right. And I'm like, well, it turned out that every time they were eating sugar, they were binging on, like, ice cream, you know? Yeah. Which is also, by the way. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Has, to me. has fat, too. Yeah. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wear a 100 gram serving of ice cream every night, eat that, and no more and eat these amount of calories through the day. And after three weeks, if you have not lost a significant amount of weight, then I will acquiesce to your uh, hypothesis that you cannot lose weight while eating sugar. And then after like a, a few, like after one week, she, she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I can eat sugar and lose weight. It's like, yeah, well, you're drawing <laughs> the wrong conclusion, right? But is it a good idea for a lot of people to say, well, I'm gonna eat a lot of ice cream for weight loss, well, no, because it's very calorie dense. It's not very satiating. And so I think the important thing is to understand that just because you don't have to eat quote unquote health foods, but just because you don't have to eat or not eat something doesn't mean that there aren't some good basic, you know, tenets for a healthy diet for, uh, as it regards to weight loss. Um, and you're right, like eating, um, losing weight, will fix a lot of health problems for a lot of people. It's not going to fix everything on the planet. And sure. this whole, I think this whole food is medicine thing. I understand where people are coming from. And as a PhD in nutritional science, I wish it was true because I could make even more money, right? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is food is not always medicine. And there are some diseases that cannot be treated by food. But if you look at almost every disease, disorder, I get people all the time like, I'm, I have depression, what diet should I eat for this? Uh, my son has autism. What should I feed him for this? What? And I'm like, why, why do you think that food is going to fix this? Like for, for some reason, we've drawn this idea that food has magical properties. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, there are some things that you can get from food. Like fiber has great uh, longevity data on it. Fruits and vegetables, great longevity data on fruits and vegetables. Uh, protein, great data on lean mass. You know, but it's not magic. Right. You know, like it's, it's not magic. It's not, it's not going to fix everything. And some of the fixes compared to actual like medication, like, you know, people, that's the other thing. People, when they read studies, they don't really know, like we have something called an effect size, which just because an effect is significant doesn't mean it's meaningful. Yeah. Right. So we can have an, a significant effect. That's only like a half percent improvement, but it was still significant. Right. But how meaningful was it? 
So some of these nutritional, you know, adjustments that can get made. Yes. If you lose a significant amount of body weight, um, you will see, like you could see, I mean, I'm sure Ethan, I don't know if you had your blood markers done when you were, you know, very overweight or obese. Well, they were a disaster. Right. So you, you, your, your health just looks unbelievably different now than it did, you know, 10 years ago. Yes. Um, but it doesn't solve everything necessarily. And I just really want people to be careful using that kind of verbiage because then you get people going, well, I'm, I've got cancer, but I'm going to forego cancer treatment because um, I'm going to fix it with food. It's a very, very bad idea. Yeah, the problem, the problem that really grates on me is when it's presented as we have an obesity crisis and that's the foundation of the conversation. And then the solution that's presented is we need to stop eating processed food. And for me, I go like, I don't eat a lot of processed food. The majority, right. the vast majority of the food I eat is one word ingredients. It's rice, it's chicken, it's broccoli. That is the majority of the types of, and, and it's not that boring. It's salmon, it's lean ground beef, it's skirt steak, not so much skirt steak. That's pretty fatty, but you know, like fillets, I'll eat a fillet every now and again. Anyway, um, I, if, if I was left to eat that way with no restraint, I would still gain weight. Exactly. If I could put olive oil on my salad, extra virgin organic, organic olive oil and rice and grass fed butter, I would gain weight. So yeah. it isn't as simple for me and telling an obese nation, just shop at Whole Foods in the organic section to me is not a solution at all. It doesn't yeah. sound like a solution at all. I think it makes adherence easier because those foods are satiating. But sure. people get so focused on the hunger aspect of things. And I I said this on Twitter the other day. I'm like, you realize that people eat for a lot of different reasons than just hunger, right? Like yeah. you don't get, and I'm sure you'll back me up on this. You don't get to 500 pounds just eating because you're hungry. Like that's, it, it, that's, hunger, I... It, it wasn't a, I ate, I liked the feeling of being over full. I enjoyed that. I ate until I was like needing to take a nap. It had nothing to do with hunger or very little. Or stress, anxiety, social cues. Like when you sit down on the couch to watch a TV show, what snack am I having? You know, like there's all kinds of stuff that goes into this and people get so focused on the hunger aspect, which is important. It is important. Sure. And there's evidence that obese people don't have the same satiety responses as non-obese people. So I think in general, the guidance of let's try to minimize processed or heavily processed foods, I think that's a reasonable recommendation. The problem is when that becomes dogma and people feel like, okay, if I have any processed food, I'm going to get sick and fat and I can't have that. And a lot of times the crazy thing is the exact opposite happens. They end up, they end up binge eating whenever they have any processed food because it's either black, white, good or bad. Well, I've had some. I've already screwed it up. Might as well have as much as I want. It's actually documented in the scientific literature. It's called a disinhibition reflex. And so what is more important is what you just said, Ethan. You mostly consume minimally processed foods. But if you wanted to have something processed, you understand that you could and still maintain your weight just fine. Yes. There's just going to be a trade-off of it may be a little bit less satiating than what you're already eating. So, and that's the important thing to have, right? Not good, bad, not best, worse. It's, there's no solutions, there's trade-offs. So sometimes, and I've had so many people who have this experience, 
they couldn't lose weight until they started allowing themselves to eat some processed food. Right. Yeah. Right. It sounds counterintuitive, but it was, Oh, it was like the one gal, like, Oh, you know, I kept, I keep trying to cut out ice cream, but I, I end up binge eating on it. Okay. Well, let's just have some and let's just hit your calories. Yeah. And it was like this person, I still remember this. They lost 50 pounds over the course of a year, you know, and they ate ice cream like pretty much every single night. Now, is that some, I'm not saying that everyone should do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for that person, their specific scenario, having a little bit of ice cream was actually good for them. And so this is where I, when people talk about individualized obesity treatments, I think this is where we need to get to. For some people, maybe abstinence is the best way to go. But for other people, but it's abstinence because you understand that, hey, you know, I just have a really hard time moderating that. And I, you know, I don't mind cutting it out. I'm choosing to cut it out. And I understand here's the downside to that, right? Or, you know what? I really enjoy the experience of sitting down having an ice cream with my daughter, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm not going to cut it out. I understand this is the downside to that. Insofar as maybe I'm not getting as much satiety bang for my buck. That's okay, right? Yeah. But like un really fundamentally understanding the idea of trade-offs versus bad, good. Yeah, that, that binary just doesn't, doesn't work for me at all. And there are, there are a few things in the world that operate in black and white. Yeah, yeah. Lane, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you and I really appreciate this. I think, uh, I think this will be helpful to people in the new year. Thank you. Hey, man, anytime. You know, I love talking to you. And uh, I think on every podcast I've been on recently, I tell Ethan, I said some kind of Ethan Suplee quote. So I, I've been loving great. it. I've been loving it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Dax, Dax had a lot of nice things to say. It was fun. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. And he's getting big. He's he is. Big. Yeah. I, I took the picture and everybody's like, dang, Dax out angled lane big time, you know? <laughs> you really and I'm did. like, hey, calm down. All right. Calm down. Everybody yeah. back off. <laughs> well, you, were, you were standing behind him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. See you later. All right. Take it easy, man. And now for the Q&A. This question is from Steen. Hi, Steen. Steen says, does walking really work for weight loss? I feel like I'm supposed to do something more strenuous or hard or intense and that walking is going to be too slow of a burn to make any real progress. But is that true? Would love to hear what you think. Thanks. Yeah, walking absolutely works. If you're a guy who walks a lot already and your idea is like, well, I'm walking, but now I want to lose weight, maybe that's not the way to do it. But if you're – the idea would be walking more, right? So if you don't walk at all, if you're not doing any walking, walking is going to help a lot. If you're walking a lot, and you're just like, well, I'm walking a lot. Why am I not losing weight? Well, then you would, I, I think the best, um, the most important for me, and, and there's plenty of scientific data to back this up. The, the, the most fundamental important thing to affect weight loss is what you eat. And you can do this in many different ways, but like if you're not changing what you eat, then just walking, your weight loss is going to be super slow. But walking uh, 
as uh, the beginning to to starting your exercise career, yeah, it's it's incredible, especially if it's something that you don't generally do. Mm-hmm. And is there anything to like the speed with which one walks, or the is it more important the distance, or you know what I mean? Like, um, I know everybody's different. You could have a person who has you know, they haven't walked ever or they're, you know, have a lot of weight to lose and they're going to walk at a certain pace versus someone who's like in great shape, but wants to like, is there something to that? For, for fat loss, I like LIS cardio, L-I-S-S. There's LIS and HIT. LIS is low impact, steady state. So I, I don't ever want to be, uh, working so hard that I can't be conversational. Um, and that shows the most results for fat loss. Once you start uh, pushing yourself so hard in cardio that your heart rate is elevated and you can't really have a conversation, you know, there, it, it's just not quite as, um, it, 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 it just isn't as good. I mean, Look, we – the exhaust system of our body is exhaling. So the more we exhale, the better we're going to be. The more you use your body, the more it's going to be burning fuel, the more weight you can lose. But I have found that when I push myself really hard, it's for a shorter duration and there's some ideas that you can go catabolic while pushing yourself that hard and then you're going to – you know, mess with, uh, lean tissue. And so I just like very slow, leisurely cardio. It's absolutely helpful, you know, especially for people who are sedentary. If you're not Mm -hmm. moving and you start moving, yes, it's incredible. If, if you're a, 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 you know, a, marathon runner then and you you know you wake up one day after new year's and you're like i want to lose some weight i wouldn't tell that guy to go on a walk right but like for sure for somebody that doesn't walk much yes walking is a great way to do it and you don't have to push yourself that hard again for fat loss my first suggestion would be uh what changes to diet are you making And then I would say like, and okay, now next as a number two, how are we going to get you to move more? And walking is a great place to begin. Love it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Steen, for your question. And if anyone else has a question out there, you can write to us. We love hearing everybody's questions. No question is too long, too short, too anything. We love it all. So send it to us at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.